glory, glory, glory. Okay, we're going to open up with prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We rejoice in the God of our salvation. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Because only the God from the kingdom of heaven who shed his blood for us can do anything for us. Amen. So we rejoice in knowing that we know that God, he chose us, and we accept it. That, that's an honor and a privilege because there's too many people who are ignorant of, the, of who he is and living for Satan. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we surrender our minds, our wills, and our ways to you in the name of Jesus. We recognize and resist Satan's lies and insinuations to resist and denounce his ability of taking our hearts and thoughts captive. In the name of Jesus, we refuse to take offense of others and fall into the bait of Satan. Thank you, for we do think on things that are pure, good, that brings life and virtue, that keeps peace in order for us to grow in statue, wisdom, and knowledge. We thank you for your word that we shall dine on today. And Father, I ask you to continue to show me your word so when I speak, Master, it be only those things you would have me to say. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. And the title of this message is Guidelines for the Women's Place in Worship. And this is going to be very interesting. That's why I have all of my little books here. Because <laughs> this is definitely going to be a teaching class. Amen. First Timothy chapter, chapter 2. We're picking up at verse 9. And we'll complete it at verse 15. And so Paul says, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. <laughs> okay, so the other words for these words uh, will be uh, impropriety, moderation, and, and costly like clothing, clothing that is very costly. Okay, now just, 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 just hold on. <laughs> I can see the women's eyes. <laughs> oh, Lord. But which becometh woman, women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. And, and that would be with submission. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. He says, but I permit not a woman to teach nor to have authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, charity, or love, and holiness with sobriety or with self-control. Amen? Okay, so uh, I'm, going to, um, I'm going to read a couple of... Uh, commentaries before I begin to go into the history concerning uh, women, the times and customs of this time, because we need to know that this is talking about 
uh, Israel doing certain times and that things progress as the church age go, okay? So, okay, I'm going to first of all read out of um, my commentary. And it says that uh, verses 9 through 15 give guidelines for the woman's place in public worship. Now, um, there were a lot of things that were happening during the service that were out of order. And, um, um, and, and Paul was really trying to bring some order to how the services were going, going on based on the uh, customs and traditions of the Israelites at that time. Now, we need to know that because they, they had such a strong rule about women being up under them and not having any power of control, there were certain what, things that were carried out in, in, in order to keep what they call was order. Okay, thank you, Jesus, because I'm asking him to guide me in a way that you guys get the truth and not get hung up. <laughs> okay, so it says, um, the female has a divinely implanted desire to have a good appearance, and Paul is not discouraging this, rather he is speaking against extravagant, ostentatious dress. Women are neither to dress immodestly so as to exploit their feminine charm, hindering their brethren from worship nor are they to overdo their dress, provoking their Christian sisters to jealousy. Amen. Yeah. Isn't that something? Okay. Which is things that you have to really consider. Um, it's, 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 it's really funny that we as women will wear certain attire to church and then get upset when the men are looking at you. <laughs> you know, well, it is natural for them to look because God created the female to be attractive to men, but it is not natural for them to be seduced by how you are dressing. <laughs> so don't get upset because you're wearing that because you like it and it makes you feel and look good and sexy, so don't get, get upset over how they are, how they're looking at you. Because when we get ourselves together, we do it with the intent to be attractive. But attractive is one thing. A lustful look is a whole nother ball game. Okay? So, okay, uh, let me see. Let me read something else out of here. It says, uh, in verse 10, when it talks about becoming and looking godliness, it says, in public worship service, women are to, are to learn in silence with all subjection to the church leadership. Well, what that meant was in the service, while the teaching is going forth, the, the wives of the men in the congregation was yelling out. Well, what is he talking about? What do that mean? and wanting some clarity of it. So it, it was a disturbance. It's not that he wants women to be ignorant, okay? So, okay, that is that commentary.
Now I'm going to read um, Jeremiah's commentary, and then I'm going to go to history, and then go to Genesis, okay? I had to really pray to ask God, help me to prepare this. <laughs> okay, so in Jeremiah, uh, David Jeremiah's commentary, it says that... Um, in the wealthy city of Ephesus, Gentile women competed for attention with elaborate hairstyles, extravagant jewelry, and costly clothing. Practices that were probably encouraged by the false teaching there. But Paul had dealt with a similar issue, issue in Corinth. Paul's instructions to women should not be read overly literally as a prohibition of jewelry or nice clothing today, it simply means that modesty, godliness, and good works are the proper attire for worship and for life. Okay, and what I wrote down, women should not be bold or, uh, or forward toward men, and that, that's what it means by that shamefacedness, that they should not be bold or forward toward men. Sobriety means an ideal of self-restraint, and, and Paul isn't su suggesting or condemning women from looking beautiful, but rather to maintain in their adornment their image as a child of God. Okay? And I, you know, I hear a lot of that. I'm keeping it real. If you're going to keep it real, as a child of God, your reflection should be of holiness, purity, and beauty. Okay, I think that's it on that. But okay, now I'm, I want to bring out a, one point, and then, like I said, I'm going to read some history because when Paul begins in verse nine and he says, "In like manner also," what he's doing is following up for what he had talked about in the earlier verses when he says that men, he was calling men to pray and lift up holy hands and stuff. Well, he's saying, "In like manner also, women are to pray." Okay, so it, it, it wasn't isolated, it's just that they were supposed to be first and foremost leading in that area, but women are to also pray as well. Okay, as we read the history account of women's rights, it comes down to the same root as sin. What I'm saying, as we're reading what was done then, it's the result of the sin that was brought into the world in the garden. That's why we have the differences and the descriptions, okay? See, in the beginning, God created the world and man and gave man and woman authority over his creation. He gave both authority over his creation. He also created them without sin. Therefore, there was no rules to follow because life and death was not in, in competition there. It was only life, okay, for mankind. Woman, cre uh, uh, woman was created to be man's helper, his love, his desires, and his partner in all things in life. Okay? Sin entered in when Adam knowingly did what God forbid, which turned creation around because God passed judgment on man for that sin, and the lasting consequences follows and become a curse that could or can only be reversed by the blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Now, why did I say Adam when Eve was the one that was tempted? It was because God gave Adam the instructions. Now, if Adam had came through and corrected her and not have eaten of the tree, 
the consequences wouldn't have happened. Okay, so as a result, things b became reversed. And that's where the problem began. So let's go over to Genesis 3 and, and uh, 3 verses 14 and 18 to talk about what happened to the world as a result of that sin, which is causing us to have the issues that we're having today in our world. So in Genesis 3, uh, beginning with verse 14, this is the beginning of the curse. The curse is what we live in. The curse is what we were born in, okay? The curse is what we call normal and have accepted as a lifestyle. All right. And so beginning at verse 14, it says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon the belly thou shalt go and thou shalt and thus shall thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow, and thy conception in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire should be to thy husband, and he shall be ruled over thee. And unto Adam, he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and has eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Curse is the ground for thy sake and sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee and thou shalt eat the herb of the field and the sweat of, of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thy return unto the ground, for out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Okay? So, now, when we go back, as a result of that sin and disobedience, then the snake, the serpent, was no longer walking. He originally was walking. But now he has to crawl around and be sub subjected to eating dust for food. Okay? <laughs> Therefore, he would need to kill to get what he thinks he needs. Disorder, violence, evil, wicked nature. Okay? Are y'all following me? All because of sin. Okay? And, 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 and also, the, the animals will have an instinct, some of them, not all of them, to kill because they will see man as their enemy. This is all because of sin. In verse 16, the curse upon the female, the woman, says that childbirth would have, would have been painless and without medical attention at the beginning. That was the original plan. You just have children and go on. But because of sin, now you will suffer in childbirth. Some subject to die. And, and, and without some kind of medical knowledge, uh, you won't be able to deliver that baby because there's things that has to be done birthing of that child. 
Okay, so that's how it was supposed to be in the in the beginning that no problems. Okay, but sin brought on a whole different way of how we give childbirth. Okay, so also he says to to her as a curse. Now your desire should be for your husband and he should rule over you. Well, that wasn't the way it was when he originally created. So he says, now there would be competition in the marriage relationship with couples instead of completing each other. Couples will compete with each other. Only those who are reborn in the blood of Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit can overcome this and live in godly love like God originally created. Do you get the message that because of sin, it turned every, all the creation around from God's original plan? And the only way that we can see some of the original things to come back and have the peace and joy is that you are born of Jesus Christ's blood. Otherwise, we live the broken lifestyle that was not the original plan of God. Okay? Verse 17 says, uh, when he talks to Adam about how he was going to be cursed because he hearkened to the voice of his wife when the Lord gave him the instructions because he was the head. So since Adam followed the voice of his wife over God's commands, he will struggle now with his commitment to the Lord and will follow the voices of man, which causes the world to go in the wrong direction okay salvation in jesus christ will be the offset but the difference between opinions will cause wars and rumors of wars amen, amen. not only that the other curse to to man is that now man will have to labor for survival rather than just picking off the tree food to eat now he must plant, nourish, and harvest before he can eat and pray against the elements when nature causes problems with the growth of the crops. All because of one sin in the garden. Working for a living will not cease because he says until you go back to dust. Remember we read that. So working for a living will not cease but you are born again because, I mean, I'm sorry, because you are born again. Being born again won't cure that problem, okay? But what it will do, the Lord will provide you with grace, assistance, and greater increase than those who are not born of him. That's the benefits of, be, of being a believer. In other words, God has an offset for everything that we've been cursed when we belong to him through the blood of Jesus Christ, which means that is our escape that Paul talks about in Corinthians. He made an ex escape for us to come, to come up all, all of this. But the point is this, man's view concerning women, the woman's view is, is all because of the brokenness in the garden. Now let me read you some history. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Now this book is called Illustrated Manners and Customs of the Bible. Okay. So 
Let me start out with this because it has uh, chapters of different things. And in one chapter, which I'm not going to read that chapter, but I'm going to read some other foundational stuff. It says, women leaders in Israel. <laughs> okay. Military herrings, queens, queen mothers, counselors, religious leaders. So as time goes, thing changes, not still rooted in the traditions and laws of other men. Remember, because Adam took his wife's word over God's command, now we have the problem of the, the competition of man versus God, which then causes different understanding, different theories that you embrace that don't always line up with God's original plan. Are y'all with me? Okay. So, um, okay, I'm going to read God's view of women. Toward the end of the first chapter of Genesis, we read God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And they ha and have and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. This passage shows two things about women. First, women as well as man was created in the image of God. God did not create woman to be inferior to man. Both are equally important. Second, the woman was also expected to have authority over God's creation. Man and woman are to share this authority. It does not belong only to the man. God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Fit for him, ladies. <laughs> That's why he has to tell you and confirm who's right for you before you get married. That's why first things we need to do when we come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ after marriage. Are y'all listening to me? After marriage. Then what we need to do is to repent to God for making choices that he wasn't even involved in. Now what you're doing is you're canceling the sin that you committed so now you can live with the consequences you inherited. So God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs. God used the rib in the creation of Eve. This account shows how important the woman is to a man. She is part of his very being. Without her man is incomplete. <laughs> but Adam and Eve sinned and God told Eve, thy desire should be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. So women were told to obey their husbands. That's the way it remained even into New Testament times when the Apostle Paul told Christian wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Lord. But even though a woman was to obey her husband, she was not inferior to him. It just means that she should be willing to let him lead. In fact, Paul called for submissions on the part of both the husband and the wife, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now let me tell you a perfect picture that when we are humble enough and compassionate enough to be submitted to each other, there is no problem with a wife submitting to her husband as the lead 
for that is the authority and the rule that is set up. Because we're complementing each other, we're not competing for anything. Amen. In another letter, Paul clearly stated that there is no difference of stat status in Christ between a man and a woman. There is neither Jew nor Greek. He writes, there is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, um, the legal position of women. It says the legal position of women in Israel was weaker than that of a man. For example, um, a husband could divorce his wife if he found some uncleanliness in her, but the wife was not allowed to divorce her husband for any reason. The law states that a wife who was suspected of having sexual relations with another man must take a jealousy test. Now, I wonder what kind of test was that? <laughs> <laughs> However, and, and that's in, in uh, there are scriptures. I'm not just uh, reading out these scriptures, but there are scriptures that's supporting all of this, okay? Um, however, there was no test for a man suspected of being unfaithful with another woman. The law also said that a man could make a religious vow and that it was binding on him, but a vow made by a woman could be canceled by her father or if she was married by her husband. Now, you see, I, I'm reading this for you to get an understanding. There were some unjust laws that was created by man that came to the decision about the woman's uh, authority and leadership, okay? All right, so, and all because of sin, okay? And so they really thought that those were the right things to do. It wasn't that they were uh, wickedly, evilly trying to, to possess control, but they thought it was the right thing to do. What I want us to have a, have a real clear understanding so we make godly good decisions, but then you know how to strategically come against what the enemy has already planted in your relationships. A woman's father could sell her to pay a debt and she could not be free after six years as a man could. That's in Leviticus. In at least one instance, a man gave his daughter to be used sexually by a mob. And that's in the book of Judges. But some laws suggest that men and women were to be treated as equals. For example, children were to treat both parents with equal respect and reverence in Exodus. A son who disobeyed or cursed either parent was to be punished. Deuteronomy. And a man and a woman caught in the act of adultery must both die by stoning. That's in Deuteronomy. It is interesting to note here that when the Pharisees dragged an adulteress to Jesus and wanted to stone her, they had already broken the law themselves by letting the man get away. And now a lot of these customs and legalism was, was done by Pharisees who we know only went by a law and not by the spirit of the living God. Other Hebrew laws offered protection for women. If a man took a second wife, he was still bound by law to feed and clothe his first, first wife and to continue to have sexual relationships with her. <laughs> and that's in Exodus. Even the foreign woman who was taken as a war bride had some rights. Now, I just had a thought. As I'm reading this, some of these laws actually feeds into your emotional, fleshy, desires which are not given to you by the Lord. So when they appease these things in you, it's easy to say, that's right. That's what the book said. <laughs> okay. So, but when you 
are educated in the word, he says you will know how to rightly divide it. So that you, not for the, for the purpose of debating or having an argument, but for you to, to skillfully have an apologetic view of the Bible to defend the word. Are y'all with me? Okay. All right. It says that um, other Hebrews laws offer protection for women. If a man took a second wife, he was still bound. Oh, I read that to you already. Okay. Even the foreign woman who was taken as a war bride had some rights. If her husband get, get, got tired of her, she was to be set free. Any man found guilty of the crime of rape was to be stoned to death. Usually only men own property, but when parents had no sons, their daughters could receive the inheritance. They had to marry within the clan to retain the inheritance. Since Israel was a male-dominated society, women's rights were sometimes overlooked. Jesus told of a widow who had, no, who had to pester a judge that would take time to listen to her side of the case. Because he didn't want her to keep bothering him, the judge finally agreed to, to her wishes. We all are familiar with that story in Luke. As with many of Jesus' stories, this was something that could really have happened and perhaps did. In spite of this widows, we were given some special privileges too. For example, they were allowed to glean the fields after the harvest, share a portion of the third year tithe with the Levite. So in spite of their weaker legal status, women did enjoy some special rights in Jewish society. Now I'm going to climax with women at worship. Are you getting stuff out of this? Yes. Okay, because I d didn't want to bore you, but I, th I think this is just good information. Women were considered to be members of the family of faith. As such, they could enter into most of, most of the areas of worship. The law directed all men to appear before the Lord three times a year. Apparently, the women went with them on some occasions, but they were not required to go. Perhaps women were not required to go because of their important duties as wives and mothers. For instance, Hannah went to Shiloh with her husband and asked the Lord for a son. When the child was born, she told her husband, I will not go up until the child be, be weaned. Then I will bring him that he, may be appear, that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. Kind of, kind of like a consecration service. As head of the family, the husband or father presented the sacrifices and offerings on behalf of the entire family. I'll read that again. <laughs> As head of the family, husband and father presented the sacrifices and offerings on behalf of the entire family. But today, you don't have to make sacrifices because of Jesus, but what you do, you intercede on behalf of the whole family to get them in line, to get them in order when they're out of order, starting with the wife. But the wife must also be present. Women attended the Feast of Tabernacles, the yearly Feast of the Lord, and the Festival of the New Moon. One sacrifice that only the woman gave to the Lord was offered after the birth of a child. And when the days of her purifying are fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dog for a sin offering unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation unto the priest. Instead of all of that, all we do is come before the congregation with the baby and have it consecrated. Okay? 
By New Testament times, the Jewish women had stopped being active in temple or synagogue worship, although there was a special area at the temple known as the Court of Women. Women were not allowed to go into the inner court. Extra biblical sources tell us that women were not allowed to read or to speak in the synagogue, but they could sit and listen in the special women's section. The women may have been allowed to enter only the that were operating on Hellenistic principles. A different picture unfolds in the early Christian church, indicates, and this comes up in Luke, indicates that Jesus welcomed some women as traveling companions. He encouraged Martha and Mary to sit at his feet as disciples. Jesus' respect for women was something unstrikingly new. That was to the legalistic folks. Now, when Jesus have you to sit at his feet, he wants you to dine at his table to receive his revelation. Okay. After Jesus ascended into heaven, several women met with the other disciples in the upper room to pray. Even though scripture does not say specifically, these women probably prayed audibly in public. Both men and women gathered at the home of John Mark's mother to pray for the release of Peter. And both men and women prayed regularly in the church at Corinth. That's why, the, that's why the Apostle Paul gave instructions to both men and women about how to pray in public. This freedom for women was so new that it caused some problems with the church, within the church. So Paul gave the early congregation some guidelines that limited the role of women. He wrote, let your women keep silence in the church for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience as also, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home for it is a shame for women to speak in church. That co confirms statement I made earlier, how they're sitting in the congregation, but they're disturbing the, co the course of the service because what they don't understand, they're asking their husband out loud, well, what do that mean? Or what did he say? And another letter, Paul wrote, let the women learn in silence with all subject su subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Opinions different as to just what prompted Paul to write these things and how far they can constitute a rule for Christians today. Certainly, however, he was correcting behavior that appeared disorderly in his day. Several Bible women were famous for their faith. Included in the list of faithful people in Hebrews 11 are two women, Sarah and Rahab. Hannah was a godly example of the Israelite. Of, of the Israelite mother. She prayed to God. She believed that God heard her prayers and she kept her promise to God. Her story is found in 1 Samuel 1. Jesus' mother, Mary, was also a good and godly woman. In fact, Mary must have remembered Hannah's example for her song of praise to God. Now, what you also need to know, that Mary, uh, as a woman, carried and, 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 and birthed out the first ministry, Jesus the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was the first real ministry born was Jesus and a woman gave birth to it. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus. And so the song of uh, praise that uh, Mary gave, which was of Hannah's as well, was very sim similar to Hannah's song. The Apostle Paul re reminded Timothy of the goodness of his mother and grandmother. Okay, I'm going to stop right, stop right there because that is enough information to give you a balanced view of what God wants 
in this church today as far as women are, are concerned. Amen. And um, uh, let me see. The Lord bless you. May Yahweh, he who exists, kneel before you, making himself available to you as your heavenly father, so he can bestow upon you his promises and gifts and keep you and guard you with a hedge of thorny protection that will prevent Satan and all your enemies from harming you. May he protect your body, soul, mind, and spirit, your loved ones, and all your possessions. The Lord make his face shine upon you. May Yahweh, he who exists, illuminate the wholeness of his being toward you, continually bringing to you order so that you will fulfill your God-given destiny and purpose. And be gracious to you. May Yahweh, he who exists, provide you with the perfect love and fellowship, never leaving you and give you substance, provision, and friendship. The Lord lift up his countenance on you. May Yahweh, he who exists, lift up and carry his fullness of being toward you, bringing everything that he has to you, to your aid, supporting you with his divine embrace and his entire being, and give you peace. May Yahweh, he who exists, set in place all you need to be whole and complete so you can walk in victory moment by moment by the power of his Holy Spirit. May he give you supernatural health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfection, fullness, rest, harmony, as well as the absence of agitation and discord. May you have traveling mercies when you leave here and depart to go to your next destination. And when you do, tell somebody about Jesus. Amen.